Kia ora everyone, this is An Eclectic Life with me, basically, uh, Andrew Whiteside. I started the podcast because there are so many things that really interest me. Um, I mean, everything from science, the arts, entertainment, cooking, philosophy, you name it. And I figured that since I have eclectic tastes and interests, my podcast might as well reflect that. So it might be an interview, it might be a monologue, it might be all sorts of things, you never know. Um, This week... I kind of worked out that I'd like to share also some of my old work, so interviews maybe that I did some time back um, that I still find really interesting and I think are still relevant. So with that in mind, I am going to share with you today an interview that I did seven years ago. It was in 2012. It was a video interview at the time. Um, But I think you'll find it pretty interesting. And it's with a a man who's become a really good friend of mine. His name is Stuart Edser. He's Australian, lives um, north of Sydney in a small town, and he's an Australian uh, theologian and a therapist. And back in 2012, he'd released a book called Being Gay and Being Christian, a really fascinating book um, that is still available, and I really recommend um, reading it. And what you need to know prior to listening to the interview is that um, Stuart used to be a Bible-thumping evangelical Christian, uh, preaching, the church, um, talking about the power of Jesus was his whole world. That's what he did. It's what he believed. But what nobody knew, and it took Stu quite a while to kind of realize about himself as well, is that he was gay. And it was a secret that was literally tearing himself apart. And so this interview covers some of that. It covers some of the book. It covers some of the, the issues around um, homosexuality and the Bible. Uh, so, as I say, I think it's a really interesting uh, interview. Um, so here is Stuart Edser, a man that I now consider a good friend. Stuart, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, great to have you here. I wanted to start by looking at the book, um, which is a really good read. And for someone like me who's not a Christian, I still found it, as a gay man, very affirming um, and very, very well written. So I'm, I'm interested to know what was the motivation behind writing it. The motivation for writing this book really came out of my own personal experience. I was I was very very much into the church. You know, I was going to at one there a couple of years I was going to church and force four different church services every Sunday. Um, I was you know the midweek Bible study. Um, eventually, I was in preaching and teaching. I'm a muser, so I was playing piano and and doing uh, worship leading and teaching worship styles in other churches. I was an invited speaker and preacher, um, doing all that sort of stuff. But but internally, I was in turmoil because I'd 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 swallowed this kind of teaching that that says uh, to be to be gay was a sin, uh, and to express it in any way was just absolutely you know abhorrent and forbidden, and you mustn't go there. And so I didn't go there. And for for the best part of probably 22 years, I lived this life, almost this double life, a secret life, uh, uh, where I outwardly was a Christian, inwardly felt like I wanted to um, have a spirituality, but I had this same-sex desire that I felt uh, was just completely forbidden. So the kind, the two were mutually exclusive. You couldn't be both. You could be a Christian but not gay, or you could be gay and not a Christian. And not, I felt like... Um, I had no choice. I felt I couldn't get up, give up God, so I had to give up my my sexuality. That was the thinking I had then. So it was it was a, it was a terrible time, and I, my mental health deteriorated badly. 
um, I'm a psychologist now and, uh, <laughs> and work with people every day with all, all, all sorts of uh, different difficulties and I, I recognise back now that I, was, I had a deep clinical depression, that uh, I had suicidal ideation um, at, at one point uh, and, and some intentionality there as well. Uh, I was a real mess because of this, this, um, this cognitive dissonance, as we call it, two competing ideas in your mind at the one time that can't, both can't be right. And so writing the book, I wanted to try to help save some people from going through the same sorts of journey, the same sort of journey rather that I did. Um, there's so many gay people out there who are either... Um, of faith or would like to have some kind of level of spirituality uh, but feel they can't because of the church or traditional church teachings at least anyway or who've been hurt by the church. So I, I wrote it for them predominantly but I also wrote it for their families and their friends and also for the clergy too because I want the clergy to look at these issues and revisit them as I think they need to and must. Um, uh, and and to look at the whole human sexuality teaching again. So hence, Being Gay, Being Christian was born. What do you think is the main thing that pulled you out of your depression and, and set you back on, on a track? <laughs> In a word, therapy. <laughs> um, I went to see a psychologist. I, 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 just, I had been to so many different Christian counsellors and and, and um, apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers praying over me and laying hands on me and all that stuff, um, that it, it was just a, a nightmare as I look back on it. Um, and when I, when I had my moment on the hill, as it were, and I shook my fist at God and turned the air blue, um, uh, I, I, I felt I needed to get help um, somewhere else. And it's what the Christians would term, in inverted commas, in the world, all right? So I, where I went was to the Yellow Pages. <laughs> and I found in the Yellow Pages uh, a fabulous psychologist who actually happened, I didn't know at the time, to be one of Australia's foremost sex therapists and a wonderful author, fabulous down-to-earth woman. And I, I, I went and I poured it all out with her for week after week and then fortnightly and monthly over about a 12-month period. Um, and she helped me through um, just divesting myself of all the junk that I'd accumulated over all, all, that, all that time in terms of my, my thinking and my emotional state and, and my physical desires. So I talked about everything with her, you know, there was nothing was taboo. I came through that process to a place of self-acceptance where I actually accepted myself and I accepted the label, if you like, or the category of being gay. And it was a great relief. It was like I'd, I'd it was like Atlas putting down the world, you know. Uh, I, I was, I was relieved of this great burden and this great shame. So that, that that's that's what it took to get me to that point. In the Bible, there are parts that people use um, to say that homosexuality is an, is an abomination. You know, God hates gays. Um, but you think there is a very definite um, place for the Bible and Christianity in someone's life that is very affirming of who they are, particularly if they're, if they're gay? Yes, I do. Let me answer that question in two ways. First of all, there are only six passages in the Bible that, that come anywhere near talking about homosexuality. When you look at them um, 
under, under the microscope with historical criticism and linguistic criticism, um, archaeological criticism, you can see that they're actually not talking about what we understand today as being modern gay sexuality, which is an a lifelong orientation that is neither willfully chosen nor willfully changed. All right? It's talking about something very, very different. Um, and it's usually uh, to do with idolatry and that kind of thing. And the second part of the question is, yes, I do think that there is a place for the Bible, um, for all people, not, not just Christians. There is some real gold in the Bible. Uh, I'm not saying it's all gold, but I also say that we need to read the Bible with a modern understanding. We need to read this book knowing for a start that it was written over a 1,000-year period by multiple authors, you know, that the, and that there is more than one voice in the Bible. And I don't just mean authors, but there are different voices coming through. And Jesus comes um, uh, in the tradition of a very long line of prophets who kind of stood up for the widow and the orphan and the marginalised, and, and, um, uh, and that's the Jesus voice. So, you know, I think if Jesus was around today, he'd be hanging out with gay people because, you know, we're only around about 5% of the population um, living in a predominantly straight world. Uh, and they're the people that he hung out with him, himself. There is some fabulous, really wonderful, life-affirming stuff in the Bible. And I, and I still hold the, the scriptures to be a, a wonderful um, foundation document of... of um, faith in the Jesus style. You know, I'm not saying it's the only style of faith there is, but in the Jesus tradition, uh, it's the foundation document, but we need to read it with modern eyes and understand um, uh, things culturally and carefully. We know that there's genocide in there and there's homophobia in there, there's misogyny in there, there's all sorts of nasties in there, but there's also some really precious stuff there too. I've always found it quite interesting. I've known a lot of Christian people, straight Christian people, who are very accepting of homosexuality, and, yes. and obviously I've encountered those who aren't. And, I, and I'm curious, do you have some thoughts about um, which came first? Was it because it was in the Bible, therefore people have developed homophobia, or the other way around? Are, are they using bits of the Bible to justify some feelings that they already have, or a combination of that? Certainly there are sort of fundamentalist um, you know, Bible-believing Christians uh, who use the scriptures, I think, uh, in a false way to vilify gay people. Uh, I think it's unconscionable. I think it's wrong. It's obviously harmful, nasty, and a lot of gay people, including myself, have been hurt by that style of, of thing. For some of them, perhaps, um, there is uh, uh, some struggle within their own lives, perhaps, of... Uh, same-sex attraction or desire, there. that's certainly in the psychological literature in both the personality stuff and some of the physiological measures that we can do that I, I actually mentioned in the book. That is there. I, I, I would think, though, that's probably not the main reason. Um, certainly for some um, who are particularly strident, particularly noisy, you know, you've got to wonder what, what's going on in this person's life. You know, you just have to. Um, but I think for most of them, they see, they see themselves as the protectors of God's reputation. And they see 
themselves as the protectors of the Bible's reputation. So they have to kind of uphold this book and say, this is the sole authority for our lives, ethically, how we act, how we behave. Now, I don't believe that anymore. I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore. I actually believe also um, uh, in, in, in the, the spirit of God's working out in our lived experience. You know, For me, I, I didn't find peace until I accepted my sexuality. You know, I didn't find peace until I, I chucked, chucked off the religious trappings and actually got real um, with myself and probably with God at the same time. You know, so um, I think all those things are there. The Catholics are a little bit different because they, they, go, they go right back to the beginning. So you go right back to medieval times and they, they kind of formulated their ideas on, on what they call natural philosophy. And the natural philosophy is sort of based on what's in the natural world is good and anything that doesn't seem natural can therefore not be good. And so homosexual acts or homosexuality in that, in that medieval period didn't quite, that didn't really seem fit in there, so therefore it can't be of God. And so they also had this idea in Catholic teaching in uh, their human sexuality stuff on what they call complementarity. So that's very much... Um, uh, physiology. Um, so a, a man has a physiology, a woman has a physiology, and they go together, and that's according to the you know the order of nature. Now, there the are real problems with that for me as a psychologist, but also as a spiritual person. I think firstly, it reduces um, sex and the sexual act to purely a physical act and and, and physiology. In other words, it reduces it just to the plumbing, which bits go where. But I think, I think sex for human beings, unlike other animals, um, is something much more than physical. It's also emotional, it's cognitive, and it can be spiritual as well. So that reductive thing to physiology just doesn't work for me. Um, it also, that complementarity argument, also ignores the, the, the more modern understanding uh, that science has brought to us uh, that, in fact, there are homosexual pair pairings in the non-human world. In fact, we know that there are now over 1,500 species where homosexual pairings and bondings have been identified. So, so it's out there. Thirdly, I would say that for a gay person to, be, um, um, uh, to have desire and be attracted to somebody else of their same gender is natural. You see, it's natural for me to be attracted by a guy or to a guy, all right? It would be unnatural, in a sense, to, to use that terminology, for me to be attracted to a woman, all right? So um, it's quite natural for a gay person. That's the way it's supposed to work. So I think on those three areas, the whole complementarity argument of the Catholic Church falls down completely. It's interesting you've mentioned science because that was something that I found um, that you wrote about that I found interesting as well was this idea that fundamentalism is almost a backlash to modernity. You mentioned you know classic classical ideas of the world versus modern ideas of the world and it's a way of making sense of and almost pushing back against what science and modern society has opened up to us I guess. Very much so. Um, uh, part of the, I guess, the underpinning of my book is the idea that human knowledge changes and evolves and develops over time. That our understanding of 
any issue um, does not remain static and fixed in concrete for all time. Uh, so too, our understandings of human sexuality. So I state very clearly, for example, we know more about human sexuality now, um, far much more, far, you know, far more than we did even 50, 60 years ago. All right, we know we've got research from biology and genetics and psychology. Um, which has informed us greatly on, on, on stuff we just, we just didn't know 50 years ago. And that's given us an, an incredible insight, for, for example, into um, gay sexuality and, and, and how all that works. And none of that was around, of course, either in Bible times or medieval times, uh, when, these, when these thoughts were either being written down or, or promulgated by the, the official line of the church. Um, Science is a powerful explanatory device, to be sure. I think it's not the only device that explains life, um, but it is a powerful explanatory device. And, and we need to bring science and scholarship and human intellect and reason um, into the way we, we look at issues. We, we do that in every other area of life. Why can we not do it in the area of human sexuality? Why should we say that a book written between you know, um, 900 years before Christ and 150 years after Christ is the final word on human sexuality. I mean, that just doesn't make sense in the modern world. So all kinds of fundamentalism, whether they be Christian or Jewish or Islamic or Buddhist or Hindu or, you know, Calathumpian, you know, um, all kinds of fundamentalism is, is really, it's an appeal to a concreted in truth. It's about dogma, rusted on dogma. Um, it doesn't like questions. It doesn't like re, uh, reasoned argument. It's 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 accepted fact. It's wisdom as accepted. Whereas um, a modern way of looking at knowledge um, is a reasoning way. It's a questioning way. We look. We're we're ready to. Um, falsify knowledge if we if we find that it's wrong we're ready to discard knowledge if, if it's no good or, or no longer appropriate as we find better ways of explaining our world and the universe so that needs to be done in the area of human sexuality and i i think the church needs to to do that these are very complex issues though aren't they and they're rooted in our history our civilization as well so I imagine creating this book, I mean, we've just scratched the surface in this yeah. interview. Creating this book must have been quite a, um, quite a task. They're very complex issues. Um, and sometimes I struggled with the language, but, but my editors were wonderful. They, they helped me, they helped me uh, keep on track. They're complex issues. And because they're complex issues, you can't talk about them simplistically because it doesn't do them justice. Um, so, I've, I've attempted um, to the best of my ability to, to write this book um, as accessibly as I possibly can without dumbing it down. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard very, very good reports uh, back to say that people have found it accessible and, and easily readable, despite the fact that some of the issues, especially in the first half of the book, um, are, are quite complicated and, and complex. Um, but yes, uh, w we need to take these issues seriously and, and not flippantly. What would you say to somebody who is young, who's questioning their sexuality? They may or may not be from a religious background. What's the, the fundamental message that you would give to them in terms of their life and, and something that's affirming about, what, about their future? 
Okay, well, first of all, it would not be a God message. Right? That, that's the first thing I'd say. Um, the, I, I, it's a difficult question to, to sort of, you know, what would I say to them kind of in a nutshell? Because um, yeah, realistically, they're probably not nutshell moments, the, the, these sorts of conversations. I, I want the person to know that, that, um, that uh, having a gay sexuality is a really normal healthy thing to have and that it's also a wonderful way to experience life um, that it's not a second rate or a second best way after being straight you know that 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 it's it's not a it shouldn't be a disappointment you know I'm, I'm gay isn't that disappointing I'd rather have been straight kind of thing I, I'd be trying to sort of um, gently push them in the direction of of um, self-acceptance and self-love um, and understanding that they're wonderful young people um, that who can have a great future and who can not only survive but thrive and flourish in life and have their fair share of happiness like like everybody else seems to get you know and that being gay doesn't preclude them from from having such a life and uh, and just to flesh that out a little bit to to just uh, um, try to excite them a little bit about um, how cool it is to be gay, how wonderful it is to be a gay person, to experience life through gay eyes, you know. That, that's a great thing. It's, it's not a second best, you know. Um, it's not the sort of bronze medal at the Olympics. It's, it's, it's still the gold medal as far as I'm concerned. And I'd, I'd want to try and um, help them see that. What do you think is the, um, the secret or the path to having um, a happy, fulfilled kind of life? I think two things for me, and, and look, it's, I guess it's different for different people, but two things for me are relationship, first of all. I think we are inherently and basically relational creatures. We, 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 you know, we're mammals. We, 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 we like other mammals. Uh, we're not like lizards. We don't just live soul lives. I think the quality of our relationships um, is really, really important. Family, friends, partners. And I think we need to put effort and, and some energy in, into our relationships. When they work well, we seem to do better. We seem to be happier. I think the second thing I would say is balance. Now, that might sound a bit boring, but what, what I mean by this is, by that, is that I don't think life should be about any one thing. I think when the, the spotlight comes on the, on the curtains and, and it and opens up and, and the stage is there, what's, what's there in your life? For the alcoholic, it's just alcohol. You know, for the drug addict, it's just drugs. For, 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 for some of the fundamentalist Christians, it's just church. You know, for, for some married people, it's marriage or family or kids. For workaholic, it's work, all right? I actually believe that we can't live life happily and in a full, full, fulfilled way if we've only got one thing there, even if it's a good thing, like exercise, you know? I think we have to have a broad range of things across that stage, um, things that are going to enrich our lives. Um, and, and bring us fulfilment and, and greater connection with the world and with other people. Now, as a Christian, I'd also, I guess, I'd, I'd want to throw in a level of spirituality because that's, that's, I think that's a really important thing. Just, just sort of understanding, for me, 
that God is in and around and through us all has a seems to be passionate about the earth and its people and and wants to make that relationship intentional if if we're open to that and I, I, I like that as well. That was Stuart Edzer, theologian, author and therapist who lives in Australia. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of that interview, it was recorded seven years ago, but the themes are as relevant as ever. Since that recording, Stuart advises me he no longer considers himself a Christian and he's uh, shortly going to be publishing his autobiography. And I'll let you know when that's available. Um, and I'm sure I'll get a chance to speak to him about that as well. So Stuart's book, Being Gay, Being Christian, it's um, a few years old, but it's a really good read. Um, it's still available for sale. You could order it through bookshops. You can also get it on Amazon um, as both hard copy and as an ebook. This has been An Eclectic Life with Andrew Whiteside. If you like this podcast, please share it and don't forget to subscribe either on SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts so you don't miss any. And visit my website for lots more content, andrewwhiteside.com. Bye now and thanks for listening.